You know, for the last uh, six weeks or so, I've been bringing uh, messages. There, go- there were three that I was going to do in total uh, on the journey to spiritual maturity. And so we've been talking about how do we no longer remain children in the faith, but how do we grow to be mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so today, this is the third and final message on the journey to spiritual maturity. Now, the first step that I mentioned on the journey to spiritual maturity, and by the way, there's no way that this can be inclusive. I'm just using three great biblical truths to show you what is important in growing uh, growing spiritually mature. So I, I can't be all-inclusive, but these three truths are vital to you growing into spiritual maturity. Of course, you know that the basics of our daily walk with God is to get into the Word of God and let God speak to us. You say, I just wish God would speak to me. He has right here. So get in there and read the Psalms and read Proverbs and read the New Testament. And, and, and if you've you got enough wisdom, read Habakkuk. I mean, just get in there and read the Word of God. I mean, you've got, you're not going to grow unless you read the Word of God. And, of course, I don't have to tell you that we don't just pray when we're in trouble. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Whatever's on our plate, we pray about. We don't worry. We pray. Well, those, those things understood. The three things that I think are the key to growing in spiritual maturity, that number one was this, and I'm just going to touch this because it'll, each one will build on the other. We have to learn how to deal thoroughly with sin. You see, the only thing that can grieve the Holy Spirit, the only thing that can quench the Holy Spirit, the only thing that can break your fellowship with God, not your relationship, if you are saved, if you are born again, if Christ lives in you, you're God's child. And you have a relationship, and it cannot be broken. However, your fellowship with God, the Father, can be broken. And the only thing that can hinder your fellowship with God is sin. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It quenches the Holy Spirit. It hinders our prayer life. So if we're going to grow up and mature spiritually, we have to learn how to deal thoroughly with sin. You know, the thing that came to my mind, we do not need to put ourselves in the place of temptation. We do not need to do anything that would make sin easier in our life. In Romans chapter 13, I want you to notice what it says, how that we're just to run from, we're just to avoid. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, and we've been singing about the return of Christ, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Just cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. It says, walk properly as in the day. 
Not in partying and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust and envy and strife. Don't walk in that. Walk properly as in the daytime. But put on, now here it is. We're talking about not putting ourselves in a position to sin. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ daily. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Sometimes you wonder, well, why do I stumble, Brother Fred? Why when temptation comes, do I oftentimes fall? Listen, it could be that you are putting yourself in the place of temptation. It could be that you're making provision for the flesh. And it doesn't need provision. It's bad enough as it is. So if we are going to deal thoroughly with sin, we need to do that which keeps us in a place where we're not giving the flesh an opportunity, the world, or the devil. There's another verse in Ephesians 5. So if we're going to deal thoroughly with sin, we do not need to put ourselves in the place of temptation. Boy, this is a great testimony of a child of God. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, unsaved people, lost people, are walking in darkness. And the darkness has overcome them. But when Jesus Christ comes to live in us, he takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, and he puts us in the kingdom of his dear son, and we begin to walk in the light. Go back to that verse before that. It says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Go on to the next verse. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He said, when you're walking in the light, there's goodness, righteousness, and truth. Go on to the next verse. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. As you walk in the light, you say, well, God, should I go there? Should I do that? Should I watch that? Should I listen to that? Should I be involved in that? He says, no. You've you got to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And then it goes on in verse 10. Boy, this is strong. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't participate in the darkness. If where, what, what you're going to watch or where you're going or what you're going to be involved in is darkness... You have no business. It's hard enough to walk in, 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 in a fellowship with God. But he says, don't you have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So in dealing thoroughly with sin, we have to do everything we can to make no provision for the flesh. And we need to walk in the light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There's a great promise when we walk in the light, a great promise. It's 1 John 5, 7. I want you to look at what it says. No, that's not, that's not it. It's 1 John 1, 7. Excuse me. I gave you the wrong verse. 1 John 1, 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. All right, he'll put it on the screen. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us from all sin. It says also in that passage, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we need to walk in the light and have fellowship with him. And if we stumble and fall, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
All right, truth number one. If we're going to grow mature, uh, into spiritual maturity, we have to learn to deal thoroughly with sin. Be quick to repent. Do not leave it in your life. Do not hide it in a closet. Deal with it, confess it, and move away from it. Here's the second thing. If we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we have to live in absolute surrender to the, Lord Jesus, uh, to the Lordship of Christ. You see, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. You can't do that. And so we have a choice as a child of God. Since Jesus Christ has come to live in us, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. And so if we're going to grow spiritually into maturity, we have to learn what it is to live a life of daily absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Word of God makes that absolutely clear that we have to live in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Uh, Romans 14, 7 through 9. I want you to look at this. You say, now, Brother Fred, what does it mean that we absolutely surrender to the Lordship of Christ? It means that Jesus is not only present in your life, he's president in your life. When he is Lord, he is not only mediator in your life, he's master of your life. And, and he's not only your savior, but he's your sovereign. So what, if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we, we've got to just be living a life of surrender to Jesus. It says in verse 7, None of us lives to himself. Well, it's my life. I just live it the way I want to. It's nobody else's business. It's God's business. He created you in his image. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. You say it's nobody else's business. Oh, yes, it is. It's God's business. No one lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live... What, what, this is so easy to understand. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. And that covers it. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And then the ninth verse is one of the most inclusive verses in the Bible. For this reason, Christ died, rose, and lives again. Now, I want you to listen to what that just said. He said, let me tell you why Jesus died. Let me tell you why he rose. Let me tell you why he lives again. That he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. You say, Brother Fred, I'm, I'm, I'm on hold in my spiritual life. I'm kind of stuck in my spiritual life. I'm kind of treading water in my spiritual life. No, you aren't. Let me tell you something. In the Christian life, you're either going forward or you're going backwards. There's no such thing as holding your own. And so we need to realize that Christ died, rose, and lives again. Why? That he might be Lord of the dead and the living. You see, when you became a Christian, when you repented of your sins, received Christ into your life, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realizing that you were lost, deserved hell, and that only Jesus could save you, when... And, and, you don't have to say all those things. But I'm saying when you were saved, then you gave up all ownership to your life. You placed your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we have to learn to live in absolute surrender every day to Jesus as our Lord. And that whatever pleases him, that's what we want to do. If it doesn't please him, we don't want to. Now, so that's the first two points of the journey to spiritual maturity. Dealing thoroughly with sin and living under the, with absolute unconditional surrender to Jesus as Lord. Now, here's the third one. This is where I'm going to spend my time. And that is this. We, learn, we need to learn to live daily, live our daily lives. I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We learn, need to learn to live our daily lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus told the disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. Well, what was the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father was that he was going to send the Holy Spirit and that he would come to indwell them and then they would have the power to live the life that God wanted them to live. Now, we got to understand, when Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and he did, he's not here in the body, visibly, he, he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, he said, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come and live in you, and he will be my presence in you, and you can live your daily life in the power of of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you a couple of verses. And, and it's interesting now in both of these verses that Paul said, do you not know? Now, why did he do that? He says, do you not know? Do you not know? It was obvious because they didn't know. Now, the first verse is this. It's 1 Corinthians three sixteen, And that is that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. But do you not know? Evidently, a lot of them didn't know. They didn't realize it. Hey, can I say something? For years, I didn't know. I just know I got saved and got baptized. I was trying to be a good Baptist. That's not enough. That's not enough. But anyway, but then you don't come to the realization that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you're the temple of God? The temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you? I mean, hey, living daily in the power, of our daily lives in the power of the Holy Spirit is possible because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He says the same words. Do you not know? Obviously, they, a lot of them didn't know. Do you not know that your body is the temple? Here it is again. That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And by the way, you're not your own. So we've got to understand that as a Christian, as one in whom Jesus Christ lives, he lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, then in Ephesians 5, 18, it gives us a command. Now, this is for, for, for believers. How are we going to grow spiritually? Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, he says, I want you 
to allow the Holy Spirit. Hey, by the way, when you got saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he didn't come into your life in degrees. When you were saved, you received all of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Brother Fred, then why does he tell us to be filled? Because we all leak. I mean, we leak. I'm telling you. He said, do not be drunk with wine, wherein is right, but be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we've got to learn to deal thoroughly with sin. And we have to know what it is daily to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. But then we've got to understand that we live our lives every day, not in our own power, not in the energy of the flesh. No, we don't struggle and strive to live the Christian life. No. We allow Jesus to be Lord, and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives and then we live our lives not in the energy of the flesh, not by struggling and striving and doing the best we can, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I say then, look what he says. Walk in the Spirit, capital S. You know what the word walk means? Just live your life. You're just walking. You're walking through life every day. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. And it goes on and says, the flesh fights against the spirit. Well, Brother Fred, why is it since I became a Christian, why is it since I'm saved, I still have that battle. I still have a struggle. Because while the, on the cross, Jesus put to death the Adam nature. While on the cross, Jesus rendered powerless the flesh. We still can make provision for it, even though we're saved. And it says, for the flesh lusts against, battles against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, they are contrary to each other. So that you sometimes do not do the things that you would. So, I mean, we need to be filled with the spirit. We need to walk in the spirit. Now, I'm just going to run by these five things. I'm, just, I'm not going to put scriptures on the screen. But I need to remind it. We need to be reminded of this. All right, now. What is our relationship, each one of us, every person in this room that is saved, what is our relationship to the Holy Spirit? We believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. I believe, and I think this is, could be supported by Scripture, that the only God we'll ever see when we get to heaven will be Jesus. You see, the Father is spirit, and those that worship him in spirit and in truth. And you know, it always talks about seeing the Lamb in heaven and seeing, but it doesn't say anything. So I, it is my firm, we'll see God manifest in the flesh, who was Jesus like he was on earth, but we'll see God manifest in the person of Jesus in heaven. You think about that, I'm not dogmatic about it. But I know one thing, we will see Jesus visibly and bodily in heaven. Well, now, the, the thing about it is, if you're saved, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you six quick things. You've been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born? He said, no. 
You need a spiritual birth, Nicodemus. You've had a physical birth. You need a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit. You've been born of the spirit. Secondly, did you know that when you were saved, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, uh, Repent and be baptized every one of you uh, in the name of Jesus as evidence of remission of sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know when I got saved. Father gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit. I was born of the Spirit, but, but we received the gift of the Spirit. The third thing is, you know, uh, not only where you get the gift of the Spirit, but your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're indwelled by the Spirit. Hey, by the way, this is a beautiful picture. You were born of the Spirit. You received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But you know a beautiful thing? The Bible says we were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You see, the church is a spiritual body. And as the choir sang about the bride of Christ, it's not talking about organized religion. It's talking about every child of God, every true, born-again, blood-washed follower of Jesus. That's the bride of Christ. And you know the Bible says that we were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. We've all been made to drink of the same Holy Spirit. See, when I got saved, I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Be honest with you. When I graduated from seminary, I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I had one or two professors that mentioned it, and Miss Bertha Smith came along and told me more in one class, and I learned the rest of the time I was there. For by one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body. We've all been made to drink of one Spirit. And the Bible says that the whole, we were sealed, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and He's the guarantee that God will finish what He started. Now, th that's my introduction. Okay. Now, this is what I want you to get. And it's been heavy on my heart all week. Um, there's a great verse in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And I, I just want us to, um, I want to spend the rest of the time just looking at this verse. Now, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. It lasted seven days. And then there was an eighth day that they added to it. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was when all the Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem. And it was a major, major feast. Okay, it says in John seven thirty-seven, On the last day, the great day of the feast, I think he was talking about the eighth day. Because it was different on the eighth day. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus, you know, Jesus was a Jew. He was right there in the middle of them. Among all of his biological, I mean, the people that were of the same descendants, he was a Jew. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus, I guess he'd just been sitting there watching them. Jesus stood and cried out saying, if any one thirst, let him come.
to me and drink. And he goes on and says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, for whom those believing him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to look at, uh, this had to be a dramatic thing. What they would do on the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would offer many sacrifices, many Sometimes as many as seven or eight or nine. Just every, all seven days, they offered sacrifices that could not take away their sins, but could only cover it. But on the eighth day, they would only offer one sacrifice. And they would place it on the altar. And then, having done that, the Jews would go down to the pool of Siloam. And they would fill... Uh, their buckets or their glasses with water. They would fill it with water. They'd go down on that eighth day and fill their glasses with water. And then they would go back. Remember, there was just one sacrifice on that day. So they would take the water and they would mix it with wine. And then they would march around that sacrifice. And they'd march around it. One time, two, three four, five, six, seven. The seventh time they would take that water and they would pour it on the sacrifice. And they would shout and they would dance and they would sing and they would celebrate. They had taken the water and they had poured it out on the sacrifice. Right when they poured out that water. Hey, by the way, let me tell you what I think it was a symbol of. In Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, I want you to notice this scripture. It says about drawing, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will, strength, I, will, I will trust him and not be afraid. The Lord is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. Then verse 3. Now listen to this. This is a picture. They were going down to the pool of Siloam. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water. From the wells of salvation. And I believe that was in the minds of those Jews. And so when they marched around that sacrifice on the eighth day. Man they would then get to the last. They would shout. And they would pour all that water mixed with wine on the sacrifice. And you talk about celebrating. You talk about being full of joy. I mean they were excited. Well it was right when they poured the water on the sacrifice, that Jesus stood up and cried out, if you are thirsty, come to me, Jesus said, and drink. Believe in me. And he said, and out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit which they would receive. The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Man, what a picture. Jesus said, this is good. It's a picture of what's going to come. 
But this is not, this is not permanent water. He said, you need to come to me. You need to believe in me. And then the Holy, when I'm glorified, when I die on the cross and have risen from the dead, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will come to live in you and out of you will flow a river of living water. And you know, I've thought about that so many times. Wherever the water goes, there's life. Have you noticed that all of the villages and countries where they don't have uh, water systems like we do and all that kind of stuff, they always build right on the river's edge. Oh, yeah, because they can't survive without water. Because water is life for their crops. Water is life for them to drink. And so, and, and so wherever there's water, there's life. And so Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you come to me and drink, and if you believe in me, he said, one day the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to fill you, and out of you, inside of you, there's going to flow a river of living water. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit that they which believed in him would receive. You know, th there are a couple of things in this verse that really speak to me. First of all, there's an invitation of Jesus to come to us and drink. We're going to keep John 7, 37 through 39 up on the screen. But it's an invitation. Look what Jesus said. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. So the invitation is to come to Jesus and drink. And he said, if you believe in me, if you believe, you've got to come to me and drink. You've got to believe in me. And then out of your, as the scripture said, out of your heart, if you come to me and drink, and if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, let me ask you a question. This is what God has um, really been burdening me with. Now, Jesus was glorified. You remember before he went to the cross, Father, glorify me with yourself with the same glory we had before the world. My hour has come. And when Jesus died on the cross, bearing our sins in his body on that tree, and God raised him from the dead, he was glorified and the Father was glorified. And the Holy Spirit came forth on Pentecost 50 days later. But you know, um, the question I want to ask you today is this. Um, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. I want to ask you this. And the Holy Spirit just asked me this. And it's over and over again. He said, well, how thirsty are you? I mean, how thirsty are you? Are you really thirsty? I said, well... That's a hard question, Lord. I, I believe. I read the Bible. I pray. I, he said, but I want to ask you something. Are you really thirsty to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to live in the Holy Spirit's power every day? How thirsty are you? You know, I think there was a, uh, something. Uh, you find that people in the world, those who are not saved, they have a God-shaped vacuum. Did you know that? A person who's not a Christian has a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. 
and only God can satisfy. Now, that you can try to fill it. People try to fill that vacuum with pleasure. They try to fill it with money. They try to fill it with success. They try to fill it with fame. They try to fill it with alcohol or drugs or pornography, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You know, they just try every way to, to fill that vacuum. But you know what? It, it never lasts. No, have you ever noticed, it seems like the more fame, I guess it's because we know about it, the more fame a person gets, and the more success they get, and the more people exalt them, it's almost not if they're going to crash, it's when they're going to crash. Because everything they were living for and wanted, they have. Money, success, pleasure, fame. But they're still empty. I thought about Elvis Presley. I thought about Prince. You know, you can't help but when you walk out of the supermarket, they have all those uh, magazines. I don't know if they're true or not. It's called The Globe and The National Examiner and this, that, and the other. And if half of it's true, we're in deep trouble. But all I got to say is, <laughs> but it's always a scandal in Hollywood. You would think they'd arrive. I, I remember when uh, the, uh, the Miley Cyrus came on the scene and before, she was 22 years old. She was a drug addict in rehab. And all that, you just see how, how, how many of them. And, and, but you see, fame, success, that won't fill this emptiness of your heart. It won't do that. Only God can fill it. It's a God-shaped vacuum. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink and believe on me. And then out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit that they who believed on him would receive. I want you to notice two verses, two passages. And then I want to ask answer, you to answer this question. How thirsty are you? The first one is this. Psalm 42, verse 1 through 3. So the question I'm, I'm, I'm raising today is how thirsty are you? How much do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How much do you want for the Holy Spirit, like a river of living water to flow out of you? Are you satisfied? Look at what he said in Psalm 42, 1. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. As a deer gets thirsty and is real thirsty and goes to the water and drink, that's the way my soul is panting after you, O oh God. Look at the next verse. Now, is, is this true of me? Is it true of you? My soul thirst for God. Well, there's a lot of things I thirst after. But this is the most important. My soul thirst for God. For the living God. <laughs> when shall I come and appear before God? And he goes on and says, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say, where is your God? The psalmist said, as a deer gets thirsty, has to have water. He pants for water. My soul is panting after God. My soul thirst for God, for the living God. Then you get over in Psalm 63, 1 through 4. Listen to what this says. See, God just kept asking me, how thirsty are you? 
How thirsty are you? It says, it says here, this is the Psalm of David. It says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Now listen to what he said. My soul thirst for you. David, your soul is thirsting for God. My soul thirsts for you. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. Boy, that sounds like America. My soul longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you. Lord, I've looked for you. I've looked for you. In the sanctuary to see your power and to see your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. How thirsty are you? How thirsty are you? Well, of course, my mentor, the man that influenced me more than any other man, was Dr. Stephen Olford, the most passionate, holy man of God, preacher that excelled all that I have known just opening the word of God you know he was raised by uh, his missionary father in West Africa uh, on a mission compound and his father was planting churches and so his father said Stephen we're going to the village down here and we're going to plant a church there Stephen was probably in his early maybe 14 15 16 and so they got the guide who knew the way to the next village. And they set out on the journey to get to that village and to plant a church. But for some reason, they got lost. And the guide lost his way. So they wandered around. They ran out of water. They had no water. Days, days passed. There was no water. And Stephen Olford said, some of you don't know what it is to be thirsty. He said, some of you never have really experienced thirst. He said, but I remember my lips were parched and split. My tongue was swollen. It was almost impossible for me to swallow. The thirst was so great. And finally, we came into a place where there was a pretty large tree. And I never will forget this. My God, it, I, it's just like I can hear him now. He said, my father stood under that tree. He said, Father, you led me to West Africa. You led me to plant churches in the name, glorious name of Jesus. And I've seen you do wonderful things. He said, but Lord, I want to tell you, if you don't send us some water, we're going to die. And, and if you want me to die, that's fine with me. But if I'm going to continue what you called me to do, he said, we're at the end, Lord. You're going to have to send some water. And Stephen Olford, with a big smile on his face, would you believe all of a sudden a big thunderstorm came right over that tree and water poured out like a flood. And we took our hats and we caught the water. And God quenched our thirst. He said, I know what it is to be thirsty. I, I've never been there. 
But oh, that God would make us thirsty for his spirit. Oh, that God would give us a longing and a desire to be filled with his Holy Spirit. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. All right, so I wanna, this is what I want to leave with you. And, and I want to show you how it's biblical to do this. I want you to start praying for God to make you thirsty. I want you to start praying for God to make you thirsty. You say, well, Brother Fred, is that biblical? Right, here it is. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And that says, therefore, my beloved, he's talking to Christians, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only. He said, you've always obeyed God, not just when I was there, but now much more in my absence, you're obeying God. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here it is. For God, it is God. Now, don't miss this. It is God who works in you. God works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He said, listen, you, you obeyed when I was there. You're obeying and I'm not there. And let, let me tell you something. He, he said, uh, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you. It is God that is working in you, both to will, to want to, and to do, to give you the power to do. He said, God's working in you to will and to do. So you can pray, Lord, I want you, I ask you, I cry out like the psalmist. Lord, I want you to make me thirsty. I'm asking you, oh God, to give me a thirst for the Lord Jesus. Give me a thirst to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Give me a thirst to be filled. You can pray that. And I'm praying it. And God will do it. Because he'll, he'll work it in. He'll give you that desire. But then you, what God works in, you've got to work out. And so my whole purpose of this message today is to say God wants the Holy Spirit not only to fill you, but to flow out of you like a river of living water. But Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Believe in me. So I'm going to ask you in the days to come, say, oh God, make me thirsty for you. Make me thirsty for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't let me be satisfied till the Holy Spirit is so filling me that he's flowing out of me like a river of living water. Oh that's God's will for your life. You know, we, 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 we uh, learned a little chorus. Uh, somebody brought it. We, we pray on Friday nights. And so they, they brought this little chorus, you know. And, and I love this little chorus. And uh, we, I finally got the words right. And uh, it's got two verses. I, I don't know whether to quote it or sing it. I believe I'm going to sing it. Now, don't make fun of my singing because it's the message. You really, are, you, are you ready for it? Yeah. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, and fill my soul. Spring up, oh well. And make me whole. 
Spring up, O well, and give to me life abundantly. Now, that wasn't bad. That was not bad. I love that song because that's what I want God to do. You know, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy this world that he's created. In his presence is fullness of joy, right-handed pleasures evermore. The, the, uh, the Christian life is an abundant life. You don't go around sucking lemons all the time and, and, and frowning. I mean, there's more joy and peace and fullness and just knowing you're forgiven and knowing you're going to heaven and the Holy Spirit helps you to overcome. You don't struggle and you don't strive. But I'm telling you, God needs to make us thirsty. We're far too much too satisfied. We're far too satisfied. Oh, my soul thirst for the living God. Pray and ask God to make you thirsty.